175 in the Bibles in the pews. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire. And his resting place shall be glorious. Let us pray. Father God we thank you for this word. This prophetic word given by Isaiah. Hundreds of years before Jesus Christ would come. And God, we, we thank you for the hope that is contained in this passage, that there is a branch of, of hope, there is a ruler, a good, a righteous, and just ruler. So as we open your word, would you lead us by your spirit and all wisdom and insight, and may our hope this morning be renewed, even as we look forward to the day when he will come again. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. As we've already acknowledged, today is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent is also often called the season of, of hope. Now, hope comes with a mixed bag of reactions. It actually is not universally appreciated. The German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche declared, Hope in reality is the worst of all evils because it prolongs the torments of men. He thought that a world without hope would be a better one. While not as pessimistic, Benjamin Franklin said that he that lives upon hope will die fasting. Hope for Benjamin Franklin must lead to action. Neither of these is a ringing endorsement for hope as we come this morning. But even during Advent, hope is kind of a mixed bag. Rarely does it even mean the same thing as you go from person to person. For many, hope during the Christmas season is synonymous with want. It is simply what folks hope to receive during Christmas. What do you want for Christmas could easily be replaced with, what are you hoping for? Countless Christmas songs reveal such a meaning. All I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. All I want for Christmas is you. That's the song of my, my, my youth, Mariah Carey, and everyone's favorite, I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Christmas hope is getting what you want. However, there are those who also believe hope to be something a little bit more substantial. 
It is akin not simply with wants, but with wishes and dreams. There are songs that include these, such as I'll Be Home for Christmas, War is Over, reflect this type of hope. But the best might be Amy Grant's classic grown-up Christmas list, where she says, no more lives torn apart, that wars would never start, that time would heal all hearts. Everyone would have a friend, and right would always win, and love would never end. This is the wishes and the dreams kind of hope. It longs for what is lacking or what is absent. And any decent human being would hope for such things. But the problem is, even this hope has nothing but the magic of Christmas, if you will, to stand on for why it might become a reality. The truth is, as our passage in Isaiah 11 will reveal, the hope of Advent is not wanting, it's not wishful dreaming, but it is true and lasting hope. It is good, it is beneficial, it is more than we could ever want, it far surpasses wishful thinking. It is not isolated to one particular person, to one place, to one people group. And it speaks to the deepest longings of all creation, not just mankind. The hope of Advent is Jesus Christ himself. The one whom our closing hymn will confess is the hope of all the earth thou art. And so as we look at these prophetic words from the prophet Isaiah, may we be encouraged this season and every season to look to Jesus Christ. He is our hope today, tomorrow, and for all eternity. The outline is printed in your bulletin. Three points to emphasize Jesus Christ as our hope. First, we see that Isaiah will give us a picture of hopelessness. Then we will see the person of hope. And then finally, the promise of harmony. The picture of hopelessness, the person of hope, and the promise of harmony. We begin with the picture of hopelessness. It's sprinkled in in verses 1, 4, and verse 9. Things do not look good. Sorry, my mic is causing some issues. At the time of this prophecy, Israel is on the verge of despair. The context of the passage alone emphasizes this. We don't have time to go back and read chapters 9 and 10, but chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, gives us a pretty good summary of what's going on in Israel at the time. Isaiah tells the people of Israel, what will you do on the day of punishment, in the ruin that will come from afar? Nothing remains but to crouch among the prisoners or fall among the slain. For all of his anger, the Lord's anger, has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. The people of Israel at this moment in time are staring God's judgment in the face. It is inescapable. It cannot be pacified. Things are already in motion. Assyria to the north is ready to destroy the northern kingdom. Close on their heels is Babylon, ready to, with its sights set on the southern kingdom. And both nations are experts at killing, destruction, and war. Israel can only, can only wait for this calamity to come. Pending doom has Israel in a state of hopelessness. But it's not just that context, but the passage itself that depicts this picture of hopelessness in Israel. In verse 1, the lineage of David 
Isaiah declares to be a stump. He says, from the stumps of Jesse and from his roots. Generally speaking, stumps are not pretty. They point to the reality of death or being cut off. They emphasize that something has gone wrong. It reminds people of what once was or what might have been. Stumps offer little hope of regaining fruitlessness. They're typically pulled up, cut up, and discarded. Roots, oftentimes, cannot even be seen. They lie under the ground. No one knows whether roots are healthy or rotten. This picture, a stump with roots underground, is the picture Isaiah paints of the Davidic line. It appears to be finished. It is a stump whose roots cannot be seen. The kingdom will be destroyed. The treasures will be carried away. The people will be taken into exile. It is so bad that Isaiah doesn't even use David's name. The emphasis is instead placed upon his father, the relatively obscure and unknown Jesse. All seems lost for the monarchy, for Israel, and even the promise. Now, my parents used to have this small maple tree on the side of their house. It was tiny when my family first moved in, but eventually it grew into a decent tree for shade and for climbing. However, a blight took over it, causing my dad to cut it down. The risk of it falling on the house, would have been the room where my sisters were sleeping, was too great to keep it around. The only thing that is left is a stump to remember the tree that once stood there. And let me tell you, it is an ugly stump, still carrying those signs of blight, those signs of ugliness and rottenness. This is Israel. This is the picture. A blight-covered stump with no hope of recovery. But it's not only Israel who's hopeless. The entire created world, the created order knows this hopelessness too. Isaiah mentioned some of these realities throughout the the course of this whole passage. He talks about the poor and the meek in verse 4. These individuals lack material and social capital, making them vulnerable to oppression and to abuse. Suffering and hopelessness are part of their everyday lives. There's the wicked in verse 4, which alludes to Assyria. They're running rampant. They're everywhere. They do as they please, to whomever they please, without remorse. In verse 9, we see there is hurt and destruction everywhere, even in the land where the Lord dwells. Pain, suffering, abuse, terror, hate and shame and death are the status quo in Israel and all of creation. The good and the very good declarations from creation are but an echo of a time far gone. And the same holds true for us today. Hopelessness is as present now as it was when Isaiah spoke these words. There's pain, there's suffering, abuse, there's terror, even just this past weekend in London. There's hate, there's shame, there's death. It's in the news, it's in our communities, it's in our families, it's even in our church. Despite all the talk of joy, this time of year can be especially a time of highlighting those feelings of hopelessness. Christmas seems more stump-like 
than a flowering tree decorated with lights and ornaments and presents underneath it. It reminds us more of the loss and the pain and the suffering. It can be more alienating than welcoming. It warrants misery more than laughter and joy. Hope is desperately needed this time and all seasons. Despair can seem like our closest friend. But we can take courage that our God knows this. His word does not shy away from the reality of hopelessness and despair. It acknowledges it. It even wrestles with it. And in his word, he has revealed there is a great hope for us and for all of creation. And that hope is the person of hope that he has appointed. The branch is the flourishing hope that comes out of this stump. This blight-covered stump will reveal, will bear fruit of the branch. And this individual would be the ideal king, even better than David. He would be the king that we would gladly follow, gladly submit to, gladly rejoice in. Why? Because he is a person unlike any other before or after him. Isaiah says in verse 2, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. In the Old Testament, a portion of the Spirit would rest upon individuals, enabling them to fulfill a divine task or purpose. We see the judges, King Saul, King David, all experience the Spirit's resting power. And although it was temporary, each of these conquered enemies spoke truthfully or ruled wisely as a result of the Spirit resting upon them. The branch, however, would not have the Spirit only temporarily. It would have it in fullness, as these seven descriptors shed light on. And what qualities would this Spirit endow such a king with that would make him so uniquely qualified? I think we can summarize Isaiah's prophecy with three. The branch would have wisdom, justice, and righteousness. First, we see that the branch is wise. He says, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge of the fear of the Lord, and he shall delight in the fear of the Lord. It is this spirit that would rest upon the branch of Jesse, thereby endowing him with wisdom, the wisdom of God. The Spirit, we know, is the source of wisdom because Paul says he alone is the one who comprehends the thoughts of God. And then the seven descriptors that we see of counsel, of might, of understanding, they are essentially a summary of the introduction of Proverbs 1, 2 through 7, which ends with the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The promised branch would personify, would live out wisdom in the flesh. He would rule his people with it, and their delight as a result would be in the Lord. Israel needed such a ruler. They should have wanted such a ruler. And it is obvious that true and godly wisdom is needed at every level in our day today. The ongoing chaos in Washington, D.C. is making that point clear. Regardless of your political leanings, it is safe to say that wisdom is clearly lacking. And other governments are no different. There is only one leader who can and will lead us with wisdom, with counsel, 
and with understanding. And it applies to us at the church as well. The branch alone is the wise leader who we can place our hope in. But the branch is also just. Isaiah goes on, he will not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Because he is wise, he is guaranteed to render judgments that are fair. They won't be based upon flawed human reason, ability, or insight. They will not be swayed by wealth or status. They won't be open to bribery like the courts and the, the rulers and the judges of our day. Justice will always be upheld. How vastly different to the justice of Israel's day. Preference was always given according to factors of power and of status. The poor and the meek were consistently deprived of justice. And sadly, our current context is of little difference. Justice is needed. People long for it. People cry out for it. And unfortunately, the hope of finding it, even for Christians, is too often placed in broken people and broken and sinful institutions. These will always come up short. Their justice will always be temporary. Yes, as Christians, we should certainly be concerned about issues of justice and righteousness. We should proclaim them because we are disciples of a just and righteous king. But we must always remember that true justice will only be found in the branch of Jesse, the one who has secured it. All justice apart from him will fail. So may we point to a world that is crying out for justice to the just ruler of all the earth. The branch is wise, the branch is just, and the branch is also righteous. Isaiah continues, he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Simply put, the branch is equipped for the job. The belt is typically a weapon, I'm not a weapon, it's, a, it's an article used for war. It secured the things needed for battle. In righteousness, the branch is going to right all the wrongs. He will conquer all those standing against him. This combination of righteousness and faithfulness is unique. It is only attributed to God himself in passages such as Psalm 33 and Psalm 36. With the righteousness and the faithfulness of God, the branch would claim victory over all of the earth. And in astonishing fashion, he would do so by the power of his word. He would not need a military might or a force, but with a word of judgment, all of his foes would be vanquished. And again, this is a shocking contrast to the kings of the past and the kings of the present. The words of rulers can rarely be trusted. They're rarely righteous. Leaders are sinners, often ruling according to their own sinful and wicked hearts. And this truth alone is why they need our prayers. But a wise and a just and a righteous ruler sounds more like a fairy tale than a steadfast promise. But thankfully, this promise is not a fairy tale. It is true. It has been fulfilled in whole even as we wait for the full realization of it. Jesus Christ is this person of hope. He is the branch of Jesse. 
In his first advent, which we celebrate this season, he came in obscurity, unassuming and meek as the branch of Jesse. But at his baptism, we see that the Spirit descended or rested upon him, equipping him for the work, for the ministry, for the task that God had given him. We see that Jesus was recognized by friends and foes alike to possess a wisdom and an understanding far surpassing any who had come before him. And we know that his delight was in the knowledge of the will of his Father. And in perfect righteousness, he came to conquer sin and death by means of the cross and the empty tomb. We rest our hope in him for the forgiveness of our sin and deliverance from its power over us. We ask him to lead us then in wisdom and righteousness that we may represent him even as we anticipate his return. And we know that in his second advent, what we still wait for, what this time of year also points forward to, we know he will come with all wisdom and justice and righteousness to stamp out all forms of evil and wickedness and injustice from his kingdom. He will remove all hopelessness, all despair, forever. And he will come, as Revelation 19.15 says, with a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. Words taken directly out of Isaiah 11. And so with each and every Advent season, we look back to the hope secured in that first Advent, even as we look forward to our hope being fully realized in his second Advent. That's why we pray, Lord Jesus, come, come quickly. And this is what enables us to endure those times of hopelessness. Because our king, the branch of Jesse, is going to return. And he's bringing his kingdom with him. And in this kingdom, he himself will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. This is our hope because Jesus Christ is our hope. And this is what he will do. The branch as our hope, as our person of hope, He is also bringing the promise of harmony. True and eternal peace will be the fruit of the branch's reign. Every square inch of creation will find harmony and rest. First, we see in verses 6 through 8, there will be peace within creation itself. Now, verses 6 through 8, they are familiar to us. They've been made into countless works of art. They've been plastered on mugs and t-shirts and posters and everything. But don't let the familiarity rob us of the amazement of these verses. The, The pictures that Isaiah provides are vivid images of the peace that will come. We see here ferocious carnivores parading with either the most vulnerable or the most ripe for the eating, if you will, animals. He's making a point of the peace that is to come. The entire created order will rest from all its hostility and all of its antagonism. We take this for granted because this is the way things simply are in a fallen world. It is expected that animals and man would be hostile towards one another. And I may get some flack for this, but hunting was not how things were supposed to be. That isn't a judgmental statement. You are allowed to hunt. It's okay. But it's not the way things were supposed to be. 
It is a far picture of Adam and the animals living in the garden together in perfect harmony. There was no hostility. There was no animosity. There was no fear. In fact, Genesis 2 paints the picture that the animals were actually Adam's helpers. They just weren't the suitable helper. The branch will restore this friendship between man and beast. Even the great hostility from the very beginning between serpent and the sea of the woman will be forever vanquished. It's not accidental that Isaiah includes the infant and the cobra, the wean child and the adder. There will be no more hurt. Creation will cease its groaning as sin is removed and peace is restored. But not only will there be peace in creation, there will be peace among men. We see that in verse 9. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Again, pain, destruction, violence, and death mark the things the way things were in Israel. The nations threatening them excelled at these things. And again, we know the same today. Attacks of terror, abuse, murder, and other forms of violence are daily occurrences. They have touched some of us in very personal ways. Some of you even bear scars, both seen and unseen, from the hurt and destruction. But we also can admit that we also have been willing participants Yes, we may not have murdered or abused, but we've certainly destroyed and hurt with our words, with our thoughts, with our anger. But all of this will end, not by some magic spell or universal spirit of brotherhood. It will be the direct result of the knowledge of God covering every square inch of creation. And such knowledge will be lived out. It will be put into practice. We will love and care for one another as fellow image bearers of our wise, righteous, and just creator. And we will serve one another in his presence. But greater still, there will also be peace between God and man. We see that in verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. This echoes the words of our call to worship from Isaiah 2, where we see that in latter days the mountain of the house of the Lord would be established and that the nations would flood to it, seeking to learn to know the Lord. And Paul would actually quote this verse in Isaiah chapter 11 in Romans 15 to confirm that the gospel is now open to the Gentiles. When he says the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. And this is the great promise for us today. The branch is not merely the hope of ethnic Israel. He is the hope for all men, from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And the branch is no longer growing from a dead stump. It has become a strong and fixed tree, standing far above all others. All can see it. All are invited to look upon it. All are invited to run to it for safety and for refuge. All are invited to find rest in its shade, now and for all eternity. If you were to travel to my parents' house, you would see that maple stump once again flourishing as a tree. 
I don't know if it's a result of my dad cutting it down poorly or what. But shoots have come up from this blighted stump. And now the tree is again yielding seeds and offering shade to any who sit under it. We need not be Jewish. You need not be religious. You need not be perfect. You don't need to be rich or poor. You don't need to be in a position of status or relative obscurity. All to run to Jesus Christ, who look upon the root of Jesse, will find peace and welcome with God. That is the hope and blessing for this time and this place and for all eternity. But while we are promised such harmony, we also must understand we are called to wait for it. It is certainly coming, but it is coming in accordance with God's sovereign plan. There will be days, and some of you are in them right now, when the longing for the fulfillment of this promise will be deepest, where it will seem most painful. The disharmony, the chaos, and the strife has hit far too close to home. And so we cry out for it to end. And thankfully, we are invited to do that with the full assurance that one day it will. Eternal rest and peace is coming. You can count on it. We must hold fast all the more tightly to Jesus Christ. Trust in him daily as we await his return to make all things new. To bring peace to every square inch of eternity. The peace and harmony of all things, every square inch of the universe, is a certain promise. It will come. The branch has secured it, and he will bring it to completion. Where is your hope this morning? For some of you, the question may be asked, why are you hopeless this morning? As you prepare for another Advent season, where are you looking for steadfast hope that your soul so desperately longs for? Contrary to what the Hallmark movies say, and my wife's been watching endless amounts of them, hope will not be found in the magic of Christmas. The lights, the decorations, the celebrations may supply wonderful emotions, but not hope. The new toys, the gadgets, the gifts will shine brightly for a moment, only to fade as something else extends out the offer of hope. The music, the movies, the favorite traditions may allude to it, but they will not provide a suitable anchor for our hope. Advent is the season of hope simply and only because it reveals the person of hope, Jesus Christ. It was he who came as a baby in our flesh for the purpose of living a sinful, sinless life in a sin-cursed world. It was he who went to the cross to pay the punishment for our sin. It was he who rose from the dead, claiming victory over the grave. And it is he who will come again as king of the entire universe, ready to judge evil and bring everlasting peace to all creation. He and he alone is where hope is found. Hope for this season and every season. Brothers and sisters, look to Jesus Christ. He is your hope, my hope, our hope, today, tomorrow, and for all eternity. Let's pray. Father God, you have given us hope in Jesus Christ. Forgive us for our moments of hopelessness and despair, but thank you that you are a God who is gracious and merciful. 
May our eyes be fixated on Jesus Christ, our hope. May it give us all the strength we need, not only in this season, but in the seasons of life still to come. And we do pray, Lord Jesus, that you would come quickly. Bring peace, bring restoration, bring wholeness to your creation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.